Okay, well, thank you very much, Caroline. Um, well, given that I'm in the graveyard, I hope I don't dig my own grave with this presentation. I'm going to talk about, we've moved now towards uh, the core ideas, and I uh, hope the next two papers are complementary to each other, they should be. Um, and uh, I'm going to start by talking about the political ecology of obesity, and my focus is going to be largely um, um, using the Foresight Obesity Systems Map and Model as, uh, as a vehicle for thinking about political ecology. So by way of introduction, you could say political what? Um, <clears throat> something that some anthropologists do. Um, it is a merging of political economy and, 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 and human ecology. So political ecology is looking at political, economic and human ecological perspectives on things with respect to health. It's interested in thinking about how political, economic, and social factors affect health issues um, with environmental components. So it includes medical ecology, health and development, inequality, and health, and so on. Um, what things have environmental components? Well, if you think about obesity, we talk so much about obesogenic environments. But think me, environments aren't, uh, obesogenic environments aren't ecological. What can they be? So, in focusing on, on this issue, we think about how political, economic, and social factors create obesogenic environments. That seems to be one piece that's missing, missing in much of the obesity discourse. So, what I'm going to do is use the foresight map as a vehicle for examining this and um, get on to talk about the policy scenarios that are developed in this map uh, that are derived from this model. <clears throat> and they imply obesity causation linkages that differ according to the response orientation. And we identify three basic um, uh, models, so four put together. There's a consumer-driven model, if you will, collective action, which can be proactive or responsive or reactive, I'll come to that presently, and market liberal orientation. Now, all of this is embedded in the Foresight Report, but what is interesting is that it's not something that has been taken up as policy, which is, which to me is interesting. So this represents uh, the problem and the opportunity. Um, many of you will be familiar with this map. It's been described as a plate full of spaghetti. It's been described as the rhinoceros guts. I've never seen rhinoceros guts, but I assume that's what they look like. Um, <clears throat> this thing has demands to be a little bit helpful. At the core, you have... Uh, the energy balance model, that is the physiological energy balance model. Now, one thing that good, Dawkins would agree about, uh, is that uh, the energy balance was largely disca discarded um, as something that could be tinkered with with respect to policy. So it wasn't considered, you know, further debate about, about energy balance wasn't going to resolve the problem at population level. So that was something that uh, one can see as being progressive, if you will, in, in, in the course so it's got domains. All of biology is put down here, so that's all the genetics, all the physiology, all the developmental programming and biochemical hypothesis is locked down there. Um, you have food consumption and individual activity, so we know imbalance comes from eating too much or not getting enough physical activity. Then you have individual psychologies at the top, psychological ambivalence, and the biology ultimately comes down to control of one kind of goal. So you've got two axes. One is the energy balance axis, and the other one is the mental axis of the ambivalence of not wanting to eat too much and not getting enough, uh, not getting enough physical activity, and, uh, and the biology that uh, pushes to people to be inactive and eat all the wrong foods. Then, of course, you have the structural issues, uh, activity environment and the food production environment and societal environment. So these are the things 
that really ecologize this model. You have individuals that are embedded in society. In terms of policies, policy response ideas, there was a lot of brainstorming went on in the foresight process. I think the, 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 the man who gives the best insight as to much of the brainstorming is in this room here, Tim um, uh, McPherson. Um, but among the policy uh, response ideas for obesity interventions, were a number of things, and these were fed through the safety perceptions. If you live in an unsafe environment, then you know that is going to affect whether you actually take physical activity or not. Walkability, you know, if all you have is freeways, then you're not going to walk along a freeway. Um, tax on food, what are the implications of tax on food? Um, and so on. Improved food literacy, that in plain terms means being able to cook and knowing where a carrot comes from and knowing where your milk comes from. Um, increasingly, we know that uh, people uh, in certain contexts have low food literacy. Control food exposure and availability. That is, if you reduce the amount of junk food on supermarket shelves, then you're going to reduce psychological ambivalence because you're never going to be in the situation where um, you might be challenged to think about the kind of food you, uh, you might buy. Change cultural norms. Governments do this all the time. By this, they mean change perceptions and the moral climate about things like wearing a safety belt, about drinking and driving, uh, and so on, about smoking. Um, anyway, so I'm going to work through a few of these, give you a couple of examples of these. This is how some of these policies wheedle their way through this model, and of course you can't see it, um, and you can't uh, get a sense of it, but I'll give you a couple of examples how, how this model's been used. What I'm going to do is going to use some of these start points and some of these end points, so the dark lines suggest end points that we reach, to come to some conclusions about um, different political uh, uh, policy uh, 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 regimes that could lead to different obesity outcomes. So in this case, um, control of food exposure and availability is a policy, you know, you can manipulate societal pressure to consume, you can manipulate sociocultural valuation of food, and through that you can change exposure of individuals to food, you can affect food abundance, and therefore you could reduce the extent to which people eat potato chips and, and graze randomly when, they, you know, when, uh, when they're wandering around and feeling stressed, for example. Um, stress is part of this model too. Cult changing cultural norms is another one. We, and here, much of the focus is about changing um, attitudes to media consumption, reading media in a, in a more in, uh, intelligent way, and not just responding to media messages. And therefore, you know, there's a culturation to how media are consumed. It can change ideas about the importance of ideal body size and image, because we know that media promotes certain kinds of body size and image ideals. It can change the social acceptability of fatness. And then moving way over to the other side, we can think about uh, changing the sociocultural valuation of activity. So rather than getting in the car, getting on your bicycle, for example. Uh, so what I'm going to do is use these to, to come to some ideas of how possible policy interventions, as defined by foresight, um, lead us to different uh, uh, potential uh, scenarios that are associated with obesity. And what I'm going to argue is that actually the welfare hypothesis, welfare regime hypothesis is embedded in the foresight report, but it hasn't actually been um, taken up and hasn't actually been promoted in that kind of way. Um, probably because it's subversive if one were to do so. Okay, so scenario one, this is, there are two axes. 
And this is, as I say, from governments, government ministers can't think about more than four policies. This is one of the things that we are told. So you offer them four possibilities. And we know, and Michael Marmot may, may, may correct me on this, but this is, this is in the foresight process, this is what they said. We're moving to four, possible, four uh, policy types. On the one hand, we have anticipation or reaction. So you can be proactive or you can be reactive. On the other hand, you can place individual responsibility first. On the other hand, you can uh, place, uh, sorry, that's individual responsibility. On the other hand, you can place social responsibility. So in market liberal regimes, such as the one we have in Britain at the moment, such as the one in the United States, but not in Denmark, um, you place individualism high up. Individuals prioritize short-term value maximization and leave the market to balance any shifts in the resource system. Conversely, we can take Denmark, if you wish, um, where you have proactive collective action, more like a welfare regime. Belief in wider social responsibility, defined by communities and the importance of future challenges, drives long-term preparedness and adaptive behavioral change. That is, you can also be reactive. You can even say society receives shocks and then reacts to them using a uh, using social consensus. Um, so, or you can take the the one way you just take a step back, the consumer-driven one, where consumers drive business to change. So this is the one that uh, uh, business quite likes, so really change and let consumers drive the change and business will respond to it. That's been one argument. Anyway, some of these experts were put in a room together and asked to talk about what these different um, policy, um, uh, policy scenarios might do for obesity. Overall population obesity, socioeconomic status differences in obesity levels, and childhood obesity in particular. And what is interesting, and this is in the report, uh, that when you look at the market, market liberal orientation, uh, the population obesity is, is placed at rising the highest among all these possible scenarios. Socioeconomic status differences in obesity levels, also the highest. Childhood obesity equal to reactive collective action. If we look at proactive collective action, that is like a, a welfare state system, um, then we see the things go in the other direction. What this table tells me is that <coughs> if you want to have a policy that reduces obesity in the UK, what you should do is move to a good old-fashioned welfare state. That's what it tells me. And the present regime is maybe good for business, but it's not good for obesity. Um, in terms of policy interventions, if you have any of these different regimes, so um, again, one is consumer-driven, two is proactive collective action, four is market liberal. These dotted lines means a negative impact of potential responses. These are di different elements of, of, of obesity intervention. So health focus on targeted interventions such as young children, those most at risk, population-wide interventions, for example, introduce health as a significant element in all planning procedures. These are all things that governments can do. Uh, the darkest blue means they're most likely to have an effect. The stippled, lined, grey areas mean they're likely to have a negative effect. When you read down this column, again, proactive collective action or welfare states are most likely to have the best impact on obesity levels, according to the expert opinion in, in, in the UK. And, and I think there's a number of people in this room who have been involved in this process and may have their own uh, take on, on what happens when experts sit together in a room, but um, I think it's the best guess we have. 
scenario four, market liberalism, um, doesn't deliver with respect to reducing obesity. In fact, it's more likely to increase obesity rates. So more policies, this is the same chart really, but looking at education, regulation, social structure and family. Again, uh, collective action, welfare statism gives you the just overall response and uh, uh, market liberalism or consumer-driven um, um, uh, 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 approaches to, to society um, uh, give, you, give you by far the worst. Okay, I'm going to spend a few minutes to talk about outcomes from the map. And this is, this is my textual reading of the map and my textual reading of the report and, and various, various documentations. And these are, in a sense, the start of the tube map with respect to uh, various parts of the map. And these are, these are endpoints. And these can be summarized in a kind of narrative. First of all, individualism um, in consumer-driven societies induces stress and psychological ambivalence, as it does among the rich and the poor, as it does uh, among proactive society and, and, and all the rest. Uh, so individualism, first of all, is actually uh, an unhealthy thing. And this is in the report. Uh, demand for health, if you're well off, you have a demand for increased diet quality. So you get this polarization of supermarkets where if you think organic is good, then you're going to buy organic and the supermarkets will store organic. Uh, um, among the poorer people, well, it might reduce lower portion size, reduce energy density because they're not going to go for the high quality stuff. Uh, similarly, there's lots of good stuff happening here. With education, less de-skilling, lower inconsistency of scientific messages. So you, you kind of know how to read the science, the popular science, in order to make informed judgments. Because one of the big disconnects between the scientific process of getting value judgments and putting out these reports and putting out recommendations in scientific language and turn, is the biggest disconnect is between individual local understandings of what is going on to uh, the scientific ones. So, and some of this is, is, is um, uh, uh, inconsistency in scientific messages. You know, well, the Daily Mail says one day, oh, sleep is going to reduce my obesity. Next day they say, well, I should, should be eating less saturated fat. And the next day I should be eating more of this. And the next day, and, and people don't put it all together because it's very complex. And it's not like smoking. You can't put it all together quite so simply. Obesity is seen as a disease, as a, as a driver of, of these things. Pharmacological interventions operate in most uh, contexts apart from um, uh, collective social, uh, proactive collective action, again, welfare states. Surgery emerges in uh, market liberal uh, society uh, possibilities for obesity interventions. I'm not saying it is good or bad, but simply this is in the report. However, when you get to demand for economic growth and profit, you have a number of problems starting to emerge. Increased food abundance, palatability, energy density, portion size, psychological ambivalence, eating to resolve, retention, uh, stress, de-skilling, reduced nutritional quality. Of all the list of <coughs> negatives, most come with the market liberal formulation. The one that kind of escapes that is, of course, as you would expect, the one that doesn't uh, place demand on economic growth and, po uh, and, and profit central to everything. Societal pressure to consume. Again, increased food exposure, psychological ambivalence, um, and de-skilling. And the one that seems to escape mostly is, is number two. Uh, 
So we have a number of uh, a, a, a number of, uh, a, a, of factors that are impacted upon by uh, by, by different uh, political regimes. Uh, employment, job pressure, purchasing power, and nutritional quality, uh, lack of time and stress again in market liberal formulations. Um, Reduced acceptability of fatness and increased importance of ideological image is the one thing that seems to emerge mostly among, uh, 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 among uh, uh, welfare state uh, regimes than in all the other ones. Anyway, I'm going to just summarise in a couple of slides. Um, I'm sure I'm pretty well close to out of time. Um, okay, bullet points. Individualism is obesogenic, whatever you do. This is out of the foresight report, it's not me saying it, this is in the foresight report. Intensified market labour competition constrains incomes and creates time pressure and stress. Governmentally support corporate profit seeking feeds consumer quest for convenience and results in high exposure to pre-prepared food. Social stigma <coughs> of non-normative body weight generates stress and cognitive dissonance, at least in uh, one uh, political uh, scenario, policy scenario. Individual quest for health, however, and paternalist behavioural guidance can act to reduce obesity. And it's interesting that it, what we have is that bottom line, is what has really been the take-home message from the Foresight Report. Paternalist behavioural guidance is pretty well what we have, um, and not the, 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 the hard-hitting politics. Again, from the Foresight Report, last slide. This is taken directly from the Foresight Report. Significant and difficult changes are needed to reduce the prevalence of obesity. If we're going to see a significant change in obesity <coughs> rates, then a shock is needed. That could be an economic shock, it could be, uh, it could be a, a supply shock of some kind. My words, Adam's words, you could argue that this calls for regime change, but it's unlikely because everybody's bought into the existing system. 